So we've been through the next part of our liturgy, and we come then to the reading of Scripture. Now, in our church, we follow a lectionary. It's a three-year lectionary that I don't pick which passages are going to be read that Sunday. Um, that's good, because it might be that I would only pick my favorites. And so it forces us to read the ones that I might not want to read, or maybe we don't want to read. But what we do is we read from four sections of Scripture. We read from the Old Testament, and then we respond with a psalm, and then we read an epistle, and then we respond with another song, and then we come to the gospel. And when we read the gospel, we read it among the people, and, the, and, and we, we elevate it. This is the high point of the service, because it reminds us that it was the gospel that Jesus came down to be among us, and the gospel was preached among us, and we can imagine ourselves in some ways being like those crowds gathered around Jesus to hear his words, and we elevate it, and we elevate that. Later in the service, we'll have another point where we elevate. It will elevate the bread and the wine, also hearing the words of Jesus when he said, this is my body and this is my blood. These are sort of like two peaks, two high points of the service, and both of them are when we hear the words of Jesus. But the point is that we are always headed towards Jesus. That's the goal of everything we're doing. And this is important when it comes to the sermon, because it, there's a few things to understand about a sermon, understanding what we're not doing as we gather here this morning, at least as we do in an Anglican church here at All Souls. First, the sermon is not a theological lecture. The goal here is not to explain the theological ins and outs of every single verse in the passage that we've read. Um, there, are, there is a good place for that in the Christian life, and it's part of something that we all do. We tend to do it in classes and small groups and things like that. But it's not simply trying to educate us. We've got lots of resources for that. You can go on the internet and find all kinds of things to edu educate you about the text of Scripture. We're also not here to give you five easy tips to improve your life. Three ways to make you a more forgiving person, or four steps to improve your marriage. Now again, those things can sometimes be helpful. They're good, and you can find lots of good books and podcasts to walk you through those types of things too. But that's not what we're here to do right now. So what are we here to do right now? We're here to come get the one thing that you can't get anywhere else in the world. We're here to get the Word of God proclaimed to you this morning in this room. Not just a word of general truth, but a word said to you, sitting here at All Souls this morning. This is for you. And it's here that you and I are here to hear the word of the gospel of Jesus working in my life. Now, the law is going to be a part of that, right? God will come and say, this is what you should do, right? You should be more generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasure. You should be more forgiving of the people who have wronged you. You should be faithful to your spouse, and not just in your actions, but in your heart. You should work harder for your boss, um, and not just for her or for him, but as to the Lord. Isn't all of this and so much more true? Yes, of course it's true. Does it give you life? Are you excited to go do it now? Did you need me to tell you that? Does me telling you to forgive give you the power to do it? This is the thing. The accusations, the shoulds, the oughts, the law, they're all true, but they don't change me. They don't bring life. The world is 
full of them. And the world has had these laws and these truths for thousands of years, and yet we are no better off as a human race. There have been commentaries and teachers and lists of things to do forever. You can get that anywhere, but what you can't always get anywhere is a word to you of God's grace within a community of people who know you, who actually know you enough to know some of your mistakes. You can't hide them for long, but you can live them out in front of other people and hear that you are forgiven. And to hear it from priests and deacons who have been given the authority, whoever steps up into this pulpit has resting upon them, not that they're better than anybody else, but what's been put upon them is 2,000 years of tradition and authority to come here and say to you without a shadow of a doubt, you are forgiven. You can be healed. There is hope for you in your life. Jesus has come to save you, and by his Holy Spirit, he is transforming you, and you can rest in that. You belong to Jesus. And you can repent and take another step in the right direction that he's calling you to because he has already walked that path for you and he's already walking that path out in and through you, even when you feel like he isn't. And when you fall, he will pick you up and take another step again. Here's the thing to remember. Preaching the truth is not the same as preaching the gospel. And sometimes we don't think about the difference between those two, but you can have the truth without the gospel, and ultimately it will do you very little good. But when you receive the gospel, and when Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, cuts deep into your heart with it and begins to work, then you start to come away alive. You walk away risen from the dead. And so with our text this morning, we come here, here's how it works. We have Jesus' words, and we're lucky because he just gives us the law. And I didn't pick the passages this morning, but he says yet again, love God and love neighbor. And we have that reading from Exodus that talks about all the things we're supposed to do. And God is compassionate on those who have been wronged, but he is very angry with those who are doing the wrong. We have, again, the fearful God coming to us naked and exposed. Our psalm echoes that this morning, right? Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the way of sinners, but who meditates on God's law day and night. In other words, your life will be blessed if your life is just permeated from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed with the law. If you obey God's teachings. Now, is that true? Yes. Of course it is. I mean, we say it every single week. If you would just love God more than your career, you wouldn't be so offended when someone overlooks you for a promotion. If you loved God more than your finances, you'd give it away more freely. If you loved him more than your pleasures, you wouldn't stay in bed an extra longer when you could be up spending time with him. If you loved your neighbor, you wouldn't be so angry when they messed up. You would be more forgiving and faithful and generous. If you were more disciplined, in God's ways, your life would be better. It would be like a tree planted by streams of water. All of this is true. And I could stop here. And I could warn you. Do you want to be like a tree planted by springs of water? Or do you want to be like the chaff that gets blown away? The passage says it straight up. What do you want to be? And then I could give you three tips to help you discipline your life in the law of God. Read it morning and evening. You know, do it in a community with other people so that you're not alone. And then make sure you examine yourself at the end of the day to see where you might improve. 
and I could give you tips on how to do it and tell you to have at it, and there you go. So what's the problem? Do you feel alive and ready to get at it? Are you better off because you showed up here this morning than if you hadn't? No. As true as all of that is, it's also true that we're a broken mess. And that bar is so high and my legs are so broken, the idea of jumping it is, is unbearable. And if that's my only chance, if that's the only way that I'm going to become like a tree with life and full of joy, then I am in huge trouble. That is, unless there's another way. It's interesting that the psalm doesn't say, blessed are those who do this, or blessed are you. Now, it's interesting because what it says is, blessed is the man. Now, it might be nice to change that one and to make it a little bit more gender equal for our modern sensibilities, and that sort of would make sense, but it doesn't do that. The psalm actually can't be translated that way. What it does is it leaves us with this ideal picture of the perfect man, and it just kind of sits it out there. This is what the perfect man would look like, and it almost leaves you with a question, has there ever been a man like that? Has there ever been a man who did follow the law perfectly, like a tree planted by springs of water? And then you read our gospel reading, what Jesus goes on to say is he starts to say, you know, when David wrote the Psalms, he was actually writing about somebody else. He was talking about David's son, who would somehow be a Messiah. And you start to recognize that what the psalm is doing is it's setting us up to see, is there someone, someone greater than us, who happens to do all of the things that the psalm is calling us to do? And I think you maybe start to get at where I'm going. It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus. The truth is that the only one who has done this is Jesus. He is the blessed man who has done this. But it's not just that Jesus has fulfilled the law for himself, but he has done it for you. And he has come for you so that while your tree may not be planted by the stream, what he seems to have done is actually rerouted the stream entirely to come find you. Right where you are dry, right where you are weak, right where you are struggling and planted, that is where he has come. And this means that no matter how many times you have fallen, forgiveness is offered. It means that no matter what your current circumstances are, is that there is hope, and there is healing, and there is joy, not just sitting out there maybe someday, but that it has actually come to you before you could go to it, not after you got your act together, but actually exactly when you did not. It means that while you may have your doubts and your struggles, and you may walk with a limp, and there will be days that you just flat fall on your face, the God of creation loves you, and he has not left you, but he has said, abide in me, and I will get us to where we're going. This is the gospel, and this will actually work in your life. More than the commands, this will actually raise you from the dead. The commands will put you to death. It'll leave you hanging on your own cross, but this word of promise will raise you so that you are new and alive. The perfect man has come, and he has died on a tree for you, so that as you hold to him, he will make you bear fruit as a tree. And in your season, and even physical death will not cause your leaf to wither. You see, this is how God has worked. We come asking him to work in our hearts, 
And He has done. He has revealed the way that things should be, and then He has given the promises to live in them for us, in Himself. And then it's not just for us, but then He comes to start working through us by His Holy Spirit as we abide in Him and keep in step with the Spirit. Now, I said at the beginning that if we're going to heal in any of the ways that we need healing, we have to ultimately be rejoined to God. And here's the truth. It turns out that God hasn't waited for us to be rejoined to Him, but He has come and already rejoined Himself to us. He is doing the work that we could not do ourselves, and because of that, we are free. And that's the gospel. And everything in the liturgy and everything we're doing is it's reaching that point. Not just commands to do, but actually the freedom and the power and the joy to do it because Jesus has done it for you and he'll continue to do it in you. And with that word of promise given to us, then we can respond in the way that we respond to a promise. We can have faith, which we respond in the creed. We can respond by saying, all right, I trust you now, so here's my mess. (laughs) And we come in prayer and we open up the problems of the world and the mess around us. And more than that, we also bring our sins and we confess them. And as we confess our sins to a God who is more for us than we are for ourselves, we find that he forgives us and makes a promise that he will always forgive us and always be an advocate on our behalf. And that's the God that we now find, not the scary God in the garden, but the one dying for us so that we can be clothed and made whole. So with that word of gospel, we respond in these next parts of our service. And we're going to do that. And at the announcements, I'll say a couple more words about communion as we move through the rest.